Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. On the show today, we had a phenomenal episode talking to Jeff Garzik. If you've never heard of Jeff, well, then you've been living under a rock for like ever because he's one of the most well-known people in the Bitcoin space and now the crypto space as the founder and CEO of Block, B-L-O-Q. But Jeff is not just involved in Block. He's been involved in the space even before me, going back to 2010. He worked very, very closely with Satoshi himself, and we talked about that. We talked about how they had a lot of conversations, and Satoshi even rejected some code that Jeff eventually uh, had written. And we used that conversation to segue into different topics like Segwit2x, Lightning, Bitcoin Foundation type stuff, really the early days of Bitcoin. And we talked about some of the newer different topics like self-censorship and tribalism and how he doesn't get jaded and now trolling really like brushes him off because he worked at CNN in the in the mid 90s helping bring CNN's website online like he was you know cnn.com he was one of the people that did that and then he worked for Red Hat uh for I don't know, like 11 years directly under the founder of Linux Linus Torvald building out technology And if you're using an Android phone today, there's a good chance that software that Jeff has written over 10 years ago is in your phone still till today. So we talked about the different comparisons of like early technology of that versus early technology of Bitcoin today and using a lot of comparisons and and contrasting that as well. Such a great episode. I didn't realize that the timing actually went over. We went over the time that I normally do. So you know this is going to be a great episode. I'll talk to you guys right after the ad. Stay tuned. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. U.S. customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade, with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com. Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. Told Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all 
the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today, our guest is one of the most famous people and one of my favorite people and someone that I can call a good friend of mine, Jeff Garzik. Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Charlie. It's been a uh, quite a while. It's been it's been too long. Usually, like I'll do a, an intro about who this person is, why are they important, why am I talking to them, and I'll probably like record something prior. But I don't think you need an introduction, and I think that the listeners who don't know you will learn about who you are as the show progresses. And I'm really excited to, to talk to you today because we, you know, we started talking before the show started and we talked about BitPay. BitPay is one of our sponsors at Untold Stories. And, um, and we're talking and I, and I, and I, you know, I said how, um, I'm going to go be visiting BitPay's offices in a, in, in a month or so and how you live in Georgia as well. And, and hopefully we can meet up, but, um, but it was interesting what, what I said and how you kind of agreed with me, I said how I, I like visiting, you know, offices of, of companies, especially companies in the Bitcoin space and the crypto space that just been around such a long time. And BitPay is probably one of the oldest and longest running companies in the space, simply because when when you when when I go to their office and, you know, I, I, I talk to the staff and we have lunch with them and it's not just them, it's, it's any company. Whenever I'm meeting any, it, it kind of reminds us why we're here. Do you, do you feel that? Because you've been involved in multiple different technologies. I mean, you, you ride the, if, if there was someone who told me like, who is there in the most important, uh, um, technologies that we've had in the world in the past, like 30 years, you, you were there with not just Bitcoin, but with also the internet and, and moving, um, you know, working at CNN and moving, um, moving them onto the, onto the internet, their first website, which was super interesting. But I mean, do you, you kind of agreed with me as soon as I said that. Do you do you feel the same way when you when you meet with certain companies and people? But I guess you probably feel differently with other people and companies too. I I know I do. There are some companies and people I simply don't want to talk to because you know I don't like how they are on online. I don't like toxicity like that. Do you kind of feel that same way? Absolutely. And uh, thanks again for having me. Uh, BitPay in particular, I, I'm uh, certainly quite biased in that I used to work for BitPay. Uh, big fan of them. I think they're a uh, they're lifers like me, and so I certainly get that feeling uh, when I talk to uh, Stephen and Tony and uh, visit their offices myself. Is that they're thinking about how do we build the crypto economy? How do we uh, integrate this technology into everybody's lives? They're uh, stealing stealing a term from uh, the Linux community, plumbers. They they really like to look at the stuff that maybe other people are kind of bored at, uh, bored with infrastructure, plumbing, the low level stuff. But uh, that's what it takes to uh, get payments working. Uh, if you go to uh, the United Way website and you want to make a donation, something like that, uh, you're going to get redirected to BitPay. And uh, they were, uh, I think, still are the biggest payment processor and uh, one of the biggest gateways for normal everyday folks having their first uh, touch of crypto, that's their experience. And they've been at it for uh, maybe eight years now, I, I think my, my calendar says. Uh, there are so many alumni uh, from BitPay out there in the world. Uh, for example, my company Block, we hire uh, 
uh, Argentinians uh, among uh, other people around the world. And there's a big ex-BitPay Argentinian contingent down there. They're all Bitcoin believers. And it uh, really does take you back to those uh, first days of Bitcoin and thinking, uh, pounding the pavement, as I literally did, uh, looking for uh, Bitcoin merchants to onboard and uh, use this newfangled digital currency. Uh, there, there are so many people that uh, were, were touched by BitPay and some of these other old school companies. They're still around, still believers, uh, still uh, working at it. And uh, it, uh, it just definitely takes me back and, and reminds me uh, why we're uh, working on all this. You love infrastructure. You get very excited about it. And, and <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good thing because, you know, we need people like you. And it's not just with Bitcoin. It's, it's with, you know, you, you worked 10 years on, directly under Linus Torvald and on the Linux kernel. And, and you know, um, a lot of your work is, is on almost all Android phones today that, that we were talking about earlier. So, um, that, that excites you. I guess, I guess my question is, um, why is that? (laughs) I was going to phrase it like more, you know, like complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a a tough uh, question to answer. It's both. Everyone gets excited uh, about different things. You know, everyone gets excited about different aspects. It's, I remember like, I remember, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you, me, and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, were sitting in a bar. Congratulations. In, thank you. Thank you. Um, we sat in a bar in, in Buenos Aires, I think it was like 2012 or 2013 or 2012. And you were like, Charlie, I'm going to freaking launch Bitcoin into space. I'm going to launch a, a satellite, a CubeSat. And I thought it was brilliant. And and like, yeah, I love space. Like, like everyone else. And but admit like, it, you thought it was a little crazy well, too. So like my girlfriend at the time, she like turns to me after and she's like, what, what was that? Who is this guy? I was like, I don't know, but he's brilliant, but I don't know what he's doing. Sending <laughs> Bitcoin to space. Like, I don't, I don't know, but you got to just, he's the type of guy that's going to say yes and do it. And you really did like you put the concept of Bitcoin in space and you're still working on it in the minds of a lot of people. And I know people who have launched Dude, I know people have launched coins off of your your blockchain post. Like I know someone launched Mars coin that's been around for like six years because of that post that you made on Bitcoin Talk. It really got everyone excited about Bitcoin in space. And then Blockstream launched their thing, which which was they just rented a, a direct TV satellite. So are you still trying to get Bitcoin into space? Absolutely. And uh, it's it's really that love of infrastructure. I've, uh, you know, taking a step back sort of on a high level. Uh, I really am a big fan of science fiction. And I immediately in 2010, when I first found Bitcoin, I jumped on it because it was something that I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for Bitcoin when it came along in uh, July of 2010. That's when I first noticed it. I've been thinking about stuff like Bitcoin, wanting something like that uh, for almost a decade at that point. And uh, it's a staple of science fiction, having all this, uh, having a digital currency, a modern currency. And uh, it's something that uh, you could uh, uh, pass, you know, a million dollars worth of cash to someone else by simply handing them a a USB flash drive, uh, that sort of thing. And so that was the vision of the future that I grew up on. 
And I was always the impatient sort wondering, well, why don't we have this decentralized digital currency yet? Why don't we have uh, nodes in space and settlements in space and all the Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke uh, fiction that uh, I grew up on? Why is it that there? We went to the moon. We went to U.S. went uh, in the Apollo missions, went to the moon, and then we never went back. And uh, so all. Why did we never go back to the moon? I never really understood that. Yeah, it's uh, politics cost. Uh, good old uh, Rich, Senator Richard Shelby in Alabama loves spending money more than uh, he likes uh, actually doing stuff. But uh, I think that's a that's a whole nother podcast. But I always uh, saw myself as a plumber and looked at how can I get involved in that infrastructure in such a way that I can affect positive change. I can be part of the journey and also be part of that uplift to uh, get us closer to the future. And that's where that's how I found Bitcoin. Uh, I found it off a, uh, a post on a website, Slash.org, uh, the tagline, News for Nerds. I call it the great slash dotting kind of in retrospect because uh, several other Bitcoin developers and enthusiasts other than myself found it in uh, that one post, Jed McCaleb of uh, Mt. Gox, notably. Did you know that? And I want to ask you the, sa the same question. Almost everyone I speak to, and this is myself included, and this is even true today. Most people I spoke, I asked this question, like, how do you find? Oh, I don't like asking that question. It's a stupid question, but uh, unless there's a great answer. But you know that everyone always answers uh, with like the same answer that I saw Bitcoin at first here. I read about it, I ignored it, and then I saw it again here. So was that the same for you? Because for me, it was. That slash dot was the first no, one. No, I dove in that I night. I sent okay. my first I post, uh, my first patch to Satoshi within 24 hours of that post. It was, it it hit every, uh, you know, ticked every checkbox, hit every groove for me. It was like Linux in that uh, it's an open source project. And uh, it was very much uh, a meritocracy. It was not about, uh, you know, who is this weird Satoshi? What's his resume? What are his qualifications? The greatness of his anonymity was that you had to focus on the code because you didn't know who it was. And it's what was that first message you sent to him, though? Uh, it, it was like walk me through those first like, conversations. Satoshi is so mysterious to most of us. There are very few people that corresponded with him. I, I only corresponded in a in a larger setting, never privately. So, like, what was that like? I mean, were you what was going on in your head as you were messaging? Did you think anything? Did you you know, when you're emailing someone, you're always going to Google that person. And who is this person? What does their face look like um, based on their email responses? You can figure out, like demographics where are they from who who are they how do they write formatting you know like how do you format an email uh, the font the color all this stuff we're always thinking about did you think about these things in those first messages no it was all about uh importing my linux experience which is uh it's all done through email so uh no face-to-face -face, no video chat no multimedia it's just text and patches and patches are how programmers talk to each other a patch is uh, another word is a software change or a diff. And uh, in Linux, every single day I sit there and email patches to Linus Torvalds, the inventor of Linux. He evaluates them and says, oh, yeah, thumbs up. We'll include that in the software or thumbs down. We're not including that in the software. And I, I took the exact same tack with Satoshi. 
It uh, wasn't like, hi, my name is Jeff. Here's my background. Da, 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 da. It was, uh, hi, I'd like to include this change in uh, Bitcoin. And here's a patch to do it. Because that's how programmers talk to each other. Is It's less about you know what uh, English we write. And it's uh, what changes are we proposing to the software? And uh, he, uh, you know, famously, I, I like to say, uh, rejected the patch. I, I forget uh, what was the reason, uh, but that's the the natural open source process of if you get a thumbs down, then you either say, okay, this approach was wrong. Let me revisit my approach, or oh, there's just a bug in my change, and I need to fix that bug and then send the change back up. And that's what I did. He included it in the uh, Bitcoin software. And there wasn't just a ton of back and forth philosophical conversation. This was 2011 this or 2010? This was 2010, July of 2010. Okay. Right after that slash dot post, within a 24 to 48 hours. Wow. I was mining and sending patches within 24 to 48 hours. I remember those days everyone was mining because all you had to do was run the software. Um, <laughs> so I remember, right. I remember uh, opening up my MacBook and mining, I think it was like I got over the course of a day or two, it was like 50 Bitcoin. And then um, I sent it to a friend of mine and we were literally sitting next to each other. Like my friend Joe, we were sitting, I mean, I was sitting on his couch. I'll never forget this. And I was like, hey, dude, let's, let, you know, I was just fucking around. You know, you're fucking around. You're, you, you, you kid, we're kids. I was 20 years old. And I was like, check out this stupid Bitcoin thing. He's like, oh, what's that? I was like, downloadable version of PayPal. He's like, I don't give a shit. You know, pass me the bong <laughs> or whatever. And then I was like, uh, I was like, no, 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 dude, check this out. This is really cool because, um, and, and, you know, I was like, check this out. It's really cool because, like, look, look at this data file. It's on your computer. And, you know, we, I didn't really fully understand it. So I was kind of like making it up as I go because, you know, I didn't come from like a super technology background. So I didn't fully understand it, but I was excited about it because I knew something to be excited about. And I, you probably understand that. Um, yeah, you could know that it was something to be excited about. Yeah, exactly. And I sent him the 50 Bitcoin. I was like, check this out. Um, I remember it was blo it was blockchain.info. No, there was a block explorer before blockchain. I think it was like blockexplorer.com. I forget. Yeah, yeah, that was it. It was run by uh, Thamos, who runs the Bitcoin talk. Whatever forms. happened to that block explorer? I'm actually the first time I'm remembering about this in years. Um, yeah, me, me too. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he uh, sold it to somebody who didn't run it. So I remember like sending. So I remember. Um, and you'll you'll smile. You're gonna smile when you when you hear the rest of the story. But I remember having the blockchain synced on my laptop. I remember having the addresses and sending it to him uh, as like a test. And I sent him like the fifty Bitcoin, and um, and he never got it. And he was like sitting sitting next to me. And I guess we can't figure out if like I don't think he had the blockchain synced. But right. But nowadays, wouldn't your balance still show in the wallet if you if you're downloading? Uh, Bitcoin QT. And most people don't realize that Bitcoin Core was called Bitcoin QT. And hey, Jeff, at what point and why did Bitcoin... I think I was in jail when this happened, but when did Bitcoin... That's actually... Uh, that's the modern uh, retelling. Uh, the uh, Bitcoin QT was the second version of the uh, GUI. Walk us and, through that. Uh, the first version was... Uh, the original was Windows only. And uh, it was mostly sort of one big source file for all the blockchain handling yep. and then another big source file or two for the, uh, the GUI. And it was written in something nobody's ever heard of called WX Widgets. And uh, I think it was uh, the 
the current Bitcoin core lead maintainer, Vladimir, uh, rewrote it in Qt because Qt was a, a better uh, GUI infrastructure, better GUI framework for the software. But yeah, it was uh, when the original was Windows only. It uh, used this uh, framework nobody ever heard of called WX Widgets. Um, it was a big hairball of a source code from source code uh, from software engineers. Uh, we would look at it. We saw no uh, unit tests or stress tests or any of the normal uh, software engineering that you expect for from a, a professional software project. Uh, my my instant impression was it was just written by someone who is self-taught, but very, very, very smart. That was sort of the first impression that you would get from downloading Bitcoin source code. Why did he get, uh, why did he get um, changed to, to, to Bitcoin core? When did that happen? Uh, that was, that was well after uh, Satoshi left. Um, it was, it was always just Bitcoin. And one of the, uh, I think, you know, I may have unintentionally kicked off the whole Bitcoin core thing, uh, in that, uh, in the early days, Bitcoin was just CPU mined. And in the early, early, early days, it was just this one Bitcoin.exe that you downloaded from Satoshi. That was the only thing that could do CPU mining. I remember. Yeah. And uh, they didn't have the fancy CPU miners, GPU miners, uh, et cetera, that uh, came along in 2010, 2011. And uh, a lot of programmers were pestering Satoshi, hey, put in this uh, special speed up for CPU mining on this special CPU. And uh, another programmer would have another special speed up for a different type of hardware. And it, it all got kind of a pain in the butt. So uh, Satoshi asked me to uh, separate out the CPU miner from the rest of the Bitcoin source code. And uh, I did that. I wrote the uh, first CPU miner called, uh, you know, with a credible flair of imagination, CPU miner. And uh, that got a, uh, a big chunk of uh, programmers off Satoshi's back and uh, allowed them to pursue this parallel track mining. Was, so which, she, was uh, Satoshi feeling overwhelmed with everything? He was. He was with uh, just, well, it was, it was overwhelmed with stuff that wasn't core. And so that's, that's why I say I may have unintentionally kicked off uh, the whole Bitcoin core thing is that uh, we're, we're peeling off some of the non-core pieces of the Bitcoin software. And so and that's what is left naturally like the- is Bitcoin core. And it, it makes sense from a technology perspective because you want to separate everything into layers, right? So if something yep. breaks, um, and if something breaks, then eventually you can separate it out. And I know this is like a terrible, terrible segue, Jeff. But um, <laughs> I mean, um, since you brought you know you brought up about the concept of of you know changing layers and multiple layers, what do you think of like I guess the future of the technology in specifically Bitcoin. We could talk about some of the other stuff later. And I know a lot of the other coins and tokens experiment with different things. Um, But, you know, kind of the direction that we're going is this building layers on top of Bitcoin and then having the core blockchain be almost like untouched. And so like, if I were to, if if I, if I don't know anything about technology and I just use, you know, the, the analogy of what you just said, it sounds like that's the, the correct direction that we should be going uh, is it? Do you think that, from a technology perspective, 
Do you think that that's the best way forward? Well, uh, it's it's a great question. Um, I tend to shy away from from a, a binary yes or no. Uh, is this a great way forward? I try to play a little bit of a, a you know, it might not seem such from from my online persona at times, but I really uh, internally think of myself as a neutral engineer, neutral scientist, uh, looking at the the data and then making a determination. And if we, I think, look at the data, it is uh, intentionally hard to change Bitcoin. And that's a good thing. That's, that's resilience. That's anti-fragility. Uh, you know, another way to describe it is it's uh, the, an asymmetric difficulty in uh, changing or adding technologies. And again, that's, that means it's resilient. That means it's uh, you know, resistant to uh, bad changes. As, but you know, on the negative side, it's uh, more difficult to import new, possibly good changes. Now, uh, the term from networking that I like to use is backbone, is that uh, one of my uh, longstanding uh, observations is that Bitcoin is the trunk or the root of an internet of chains. And sort of unpacking that, that means that if Bitcoin does not change at all, you know, zero, uh, zero technological changes, it will, can and will continue to work just fine and people will adapt around it. So uh, that's part of, part of answering your question. Now, what does adapt around it mean, right? Um, some of that is uh, people just saying, oh, use Ethereum, use this other blockchain and don't use Bitcoin. But Bitcoin has the most liquidity, the most uh, buy-in across uh, both uh, companies, technologies, regulatory, legal, uh, across all these domains. And so you're, if you're doing it on the one hand, on the other hand, you've got, uh, well, I could uh, use Bitcoin and then build some other technology on top of it using Bitcoin as that backbone. Or I could just use this totally other technology. Now, that's an A or B where you've got some established tech, Bitcoin, versus uh, let me pick this other technology, a Tezos, an EOS, uh, an ETH, uh, you know, whatever, pick your platform. And it's always going to be Bitcoin uh, contrasted with that other guy. That just you know, naturally, well, that's why that term when making altcoin. that comparison. Yeah, exactly. Alternative it's, to it's, Bitcoin. Exactly. And it wasn't meant as a negative though. And economic choice. And uh, that economic choice is, well, I can go with this totally other thing that's less established, but better for my use case. Or I could go with this thing that's not great for my use case, build on top of it a tech that is good for my use case. That's kind of what Rootstock is doing. That's kind of what Echo is doing. So they're uh, building Paul layers. stored side chains, yeah. uh, Lightning Network. You know, we, we call it layer two, but it's really using the Bitcoin technology and expanding Bitcoin universe at the same time. And I don't, I don't pretend to have an answer to that. But it, it, use, it, it, it utilizes Bitcoin security, right? Yeah. So, yep. and that's the best. They're almost like these technologies are saying, like Lightning, for example, or whatever they're saying. Yeah, when you're on the Lightning, uh, you know, when you're using, um, uh, for example, Liquid. Let's use Blockstream's example, Liquid. Uh, they they tell you that this is a not as decentralized version of Bitcoin. It's a federation, but 
it utilizes the security of of the Bitcoin blockchain, whereas like the core tech and when you move back your liquid, you know, LBTC back into Bitcoin, back and forth, and you're holding it, it's utilizing the security of the Bitcoin blockchain and for better or for worse. But Jeff, I want to ask you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that really presents like three models, what I'll call the, the stasis model, the Luke Jr. model and the big block model. And uh, somewhat controversially, those are completely uh, can you can you can you almost put it into two? Can I feel like it's like the the Luke Jr. model, the 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 big block model. And there's like the the middle of the road, what we're doing now model, I feel like. Yeah, it's uh, again with that asymmetric nature of change is that we have to assume for the sake of argument that Bitcoin might never change. We might never increase or decrease that block size. And and there is a scenario where Bitcoin works just fine in conjunction with these other layer two technologies in that scenario. Similarly, since we're in a constrained model, if you increase that constraint, and uh, I'll call that the Luke Jr. model, decrease the block size, again, there are perfectly workable technologies that marry with that. And that creates kind of that Bitcoin Luke Jr. backbone. But Bitcoin keeps working. Bitcoin keeps ticking away. And then there's obviously the the in, uh, decrease the constraints, increase the, the block uh, throughput, transaction throughput model. And Bitcoin works in that scenario as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's somewhat controversial, uh, you know, if you consider Segwit2x and all this other stuff. But as a neutral engineer, a neutral scientist, you uh, have to say there is a way forward for Bitcoin that's entirely viable on all paths. And that just blows everybody's mind. It's very interesting, um, you know, that you've that you've that you're able to give me and our listeners these perspectives from like a very neutral standpoint. And of course, listen, you're going to have people on like crypto Twitter and whatever claiming that you and I are not neutral. But, you know, if you're listening to the show, um, it's nice to get like a technology perspective. So let me ask you another question that simply and Jeff, this is interesting because I'm not asking you questions. A lot of these times, it's not like I'm asking you a question that I already know the answer to. A lot of times I simply like what I like doing on the show. I sometimes I don't understand things myself. And you're someone who could explain better. Um, so here, you know, here's a shot. Um, up until Vitalik launched, you know, announced Ethereum, up until that point, altcoins wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't a negative term, right? You alluded to it earlier. It was alternative to Bitcoin. And, you know, if you look at the early Bitcoin talk forums and and whatever, um, or forum.bitcoin, you know, Namecoin, Litecoin, so many experimentations, like how many different coins did Charlie Lee, you know, experiment <laughs> with before Litecoin? There was two other That's ones right. that I could think of. Yep. So, I mean, there was a experimentation. It was love. It was ideas. It was a thought process. And, and it was all these different experimentations. And yeah, maybe Bitcoin would never adopt them, but it was still fun. It wasn't scammy. And a lot of these, yeah, it, a lot of these tokens. Retroactively, I call it the first ICO boom. But but these 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 companies and these these coins and tokens did raise money. Like they did, but they weren't still seen as scammy. What was it about Ethereum that made that I feel like until Ethereum launched, there was no tribalism. There was no um, that was the beginning. I feel like when Ethereum was launched, and I could be completely wrong about this, 
But I feel like when Ethereum was announced, that was that sh- was the first time that we saw the cracks of, you know, tribalism and toxicity start to show. Um, I, I'm going to agree and disagree to a certain extent. Um, the 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 disagreement part would be that uh, what I call the you know the first uh, altcoin wave where uh, you uh, would make a photocopy of the Bitcoin source code, you know, change all the strings to say Jeff coin instead of Bitcoin, and you launched your own network. But there wasn't a raise associated with that. So you had, uh, and that, that economic component, I think, in part answers uh, your question, is that uh, you know when you're starting a Litecoin, what you do is you take the Bitcoin source code and uh, you change the proof of work uh, algorithm, you change a couple other metrics, and you launch it. But you didn't take in money to launch it. You obviously had uh, you know presumably uh, a lot of Litecoin as it's getting uh, uh, issued, and you're putting that in your pocket, but you didn't take in money before the chain was launched and with ethereum that uh that was where they're taking in btc and then in the future going to launch a uh this network and i think that uh that was really the point where investors money was at risk versus it wasn't in that first ico wave or first altcoin wave that really made the big difference that uh, the tribalism was always there. I mean, you know, you probably remember in the days of the Bitcoin foundation, like any, any coin that's not Bitcoin is not a good coin was kind of the, the default uh, thought. Yes. And the, uh, but with Ethereum, when you're taking in money based on a promise that uh, that is a new level and, you know, I, I don't think it was a scam. I, I think they were very transparent. But uh, if we're uh, using, you know, the, the U.S. SEC and CFTC as any guidelines, then uh, they have said that, uh, you know, looking back, Ethereum was a security at one time. It's not anymore. It's now decentralized, et cetera. But uh, if you, you know, you take that logic um, I think that they were kind of agree. The SEC was kind of agreeing with those early Ethereum critics in that it was a fundraise. And that was the first fundraise. They obviously did well, but there was a lot of risk and there was a lot of uh, promises that, uh, you know, we've seen in other non-Ethereum platforms uh, turn out to be scams. So that's that Ethereum took it to a new level by, Uh, collecting BTC to launch their coin, which was something that uh, the first wave of altcoins didn't do. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. U.S. customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade, with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything, and that's really, really, really important. So... 
If you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com, links are in the show notes, and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. You know, you don't sound like jaded. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I talk to people and, um, you know, you have people that have been involved a very long time get jaded. But I guess I've just (laughs) always been the same level of jaded. But Jeff, (laughs) Jeff, I could think of times where you became like an un very very unfairly you know segwit 2x is a great example you became like the person that the other side unfairly was attacking um but yeah, I remember my, when my you, role is to receive arrows in the back <laughs> but you take it very well um and i'm not saying that to compliment you i'm saying that as an observation i don't take it well and that's why i just don't say anything you know the uh, my, my Obviously, prison helped me like train, you know, by the way, I, uh, you want to hear a funny analogy. So you, um, and this goes to my question. Um, you told me in, in an email, you said to me, I tend to roll my eyes at a lot of the hyperbole tossed about in the block size debates. And, yeah. you know, like I kind of like, I, I'm smiling cause I kind of get it because like you, you've been through you know, before Bitcoin, you've been through some some crazy shit um, with, with with CNN and the internet, but also with Linux, and you've seen uh, you've seen worse. You've seen like worse. You know, y- you were telling me that oh, you think crypto Twitter is bad now, and that you you don't understand what it was like back then when we were trying to to launch Linux. Um, and so the funny analogy is that I, I get it because um, I was very bad at dealing with trolls, and then I went to prison. And then, um, you because where I was, there are no vi- there's there's a lot less violence, but people still have the need that in prison you have five of your inmates who are just angry at life every day. Mm-hmm. So, but but because where I was is a is a is a better prison than where you where you could have ended up. There's a lot less violence, but you still have people that need to take aggression out on each other. So you have an immense amount of passive aggressiveness. And trolling. Oh, my God. I feel like trolling was invented in prison Um, every day, constantly in person too, to your face. Yeah. So when I got out and I saw what was going on with this whole like scaling Bitcoin and seg to X, I'm like, guys, like I'm like, I I think I told Samson on the show. I'm like, Samson, like, I love you, but like you got nothing on the trolls in prison. (laughs) You got nothing, nothing. Those guys are pros. I'm still an amateur. Like being called a troll from you is flattering, Samson. But like, and I told him that I said, you know, like those guys in jail, like, oh my God, none of us would survive a day of their trolling. But but you get that right because you've been through. Um, what were those? What were some 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 debates that people had on the early, uh, uh, you know, Linux checks? Was it was it uh, same thing like block sizes? What type of stuff were people arguing about in those years? Yeah, it. Uh, I like to uh, say that I imported my flame retardant asbestos suit from uh, Linux, 
we had a, a very uh, salty uh, email list. Most of the communications in the Linux kernel were over email. And, uh, you know, what your listeners may not appreciate, this one piece of software, the Linux kernel, it's in everything. It's in every Android phone, every computer and every data center, just about traffic lights, cars. This one piece of software, it powers, you know, literally billions of computers. And with that kind of impact, you, uh, you know, it's a very big deal when, say, uh, China releases Red Flag Linux, which is uh, their open source take on Linux. But back in the, the early 90s, that was a big deal. Are the communists coming? Are they, you know, infecting our computers? What are they doing? And you have... Wait, uh, they called it Red? Red Flag Linux. I mean, they couldn't have played on that stereotype. <laughs> as, and so as a result, the engineering mailing list, they were, uh, you know... Your 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 code is just shit. You know, why are you even alive? Why don't you just go away and die rather than submit the software change? You know, it was it was harsh for, you know, obviously nowhere near prison, but uh, it was harsh uh, engineer to engineer. Um, we even had meetings about, you know, is our environment sufficiently toxic that we're chasing away other programmers? So, uh, you know, coming to Bitcoin, uh, you know, it was to me as a, uh, you know, 40 something uh, uh, person, you know, to me, it was like, oh, you little kids, you were you were just so microtoxic. It's cute. Uh, come microtoxic. back to me in five years. That's a great term. <laughs> I love that. Microtoxic. So, yeah, it was not a big deal at all. And you can see that people are just either playing to their audience or, you know, trying to push the needle in a particular direction. But, uh, you know, major, major life lesson, something that, that people don't get even today is that a troll is not looking for the truth. They're not looking for, you know, truth to be received and educated. They're, they're looking to provoke a reaction, whatever that reaction is. And any reaction. Any reaction. Exactly. They win. And so the troll is in control when they make you do something. And so, obviously, logically, the way to not to you know give them their satisfaction to disempower the troll is not give them what they're looking for is that reaction that uh, you know explosion or you know more subtly sometimes trolls and and I don't know if you I can imagine uh, this this level in prison is uh, people are trying to trigger you to do some action. You know, so that they don't, you know, get in trouble. You're the one who is actually undertaking that action, but uh, they triggered it by, you know, that particular troll. So people just don't get this this sort of chessboard mentality of the purpose of a troll is to generate that reaction. And the way to disarm them is to not give them that reaction. I'll give you an example about something that I saw happen literally like in a cell next door to in a, in a cube next door to me was this guy kept calling his like uh, wife or girlfriend or something. And she wasn't answering. And then, so he was getting trolled a lot. They were like, yeah, she left you, blah, blah, blah. She's cheating on you. And you know, no one wants to hear that. So of course this guy because you only have 10 minutes a day worth of self of, of minutes to call. Um, he, 
you know, got a contraband cell phone and, 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 and called his wife or whatever. And, of course, she answered. And there was n- no issue. He talked to her. And um, and he was trolled. So, so, But then what happened was, because of that, next time he got on the, the prison phone with her, um, he mentioned the fact that they spoke on a cell phone recently. You know, it slipped. And those calls are being monitored. And he ended up getting sent to solitary confinement. Yep. Because he allowed the trolls to troll him. So it could lead to very negative things. I mean, you could get sent to solitary confinement. I mean, from allowing someone to get in your head. Uh, and we see with crypto Twitter, it could it could happen a lot worse. But I think like for better or for worse, it's important to have, I'd rather have an industry that trolls each other and says things that need to be said and calls each other out, even if it's in a negative way, than being in an industry like, uh, for example, I, I can't think of an example, but an industry where they just don't, it's, it's just one big echo chamber. It is. It absolutely is. So um, you mentioned Segwit2x before, and you, you said a quote somewhere in my research, and I want to read it off to you. You said, this, this is open source, and it's just part of the game. People have different opinions, and it's a very human very social and inevitably a political process. And I want to highlight political process. People want Bitcoin to be this pure abstract software entity, but realists will observe that Bitcoin is an approximation of that. This is a very brilliant quote. Ultimately, Bitcoin's network is a social network and we have to have social consensus. So reading that quote is brilliant and I agree with it and it's very smart. However, if you remember Segwit2x and the concept behind Segwit2x is here you have two camps fighting each other. So how do we have a political solution to a development issue? And sounds right. And that's ultimately what a, I felt like a majority of the community uh, cared about with that. But then you have this like very small vocal minority who went out there uh, and claimed that you can't have a development solution you can't have a political solution to a development problem you need to have a development solution to a development problem now i don't know how to respond to that because i'm not a developer but you are you're a developer how would you respond to that well ultimately bitcoin is a social network and i think you can't get around that and if as the the discussion proved out it was getting deep into Really, the what is Bitcoin? Is it a payment network? Is it a store store of value, a medium of exchange? All of these things that uh, you know certainly economists, uh, crypto economist nerds love to debate. Uh, but all of that is very much non-technical, and that is in the realm of uh, you know which social groups want a you know this use case or that use case. Um, you know, which businesses were built on the assumption that the uh, the blockchain would uh, continue to increase throughput versus, uh, you know, pick an alternate path of not increased throughput in the at the core layer. And so you ultimately I always try to analyze from an, an economics and incentives level is at that time in uh, 2017, you had a number of businesses which had looked at the early you know bitcoin plan as it were which uh, the original plan uh, was to continue to increase the block size 
And they uh, built businesses with that perhaps implicit assumption in mind. They invested money, economics, time, uh, blood, sweat, tears into uh, that uh, that plan or that assumption. And then when uh, things go in a different direction, they're you know they're caught in a lurch. You know, depending on each business, uh, depends on how much they're they're caught. But uh, you know, you have these embedded economic solutions that uh, is very much in the non-technical realm. On the technical side, the open source process, uh, again, importing from the Linux days, it's uh, you know at the very basic level for your audience, what is open source? Open source, I like to describe it, is a lot like the uh, scientific process in biology or chemistry, where uh, one scientist or a software engineer, in this case, they uh, develop something. What the, their next step is peer review. They have to share their findings or their software with other peers that review it, test it, evaluate it, and then and only then is it uh, published. And open source is similar in that uh, we software engineers we propose changes, we uh, evaluate them, debate them, etc. Sometimes changes are obvious and uh, have wide consensus and they go in immediately. And sometimes changes are very contentious and they don't have consensus and they uh, either don't go in for a long time or never go in. And I call that entire process uh, sort of we air our dirty laundry in public is uh, another part of open source is just that transparency to be open you have to make these source code changes visible to everyone in the entire world. And that's why I didn't and, agree with that, with that yeah. statement, because up until that, that, you know, like debate, I'll just call it up until that fork. No, I don't like to use the word fork. up until that, uh, you know, segment of, of our crypto history, Everything was done with a political problem. They just everything, every solution was a political solution to a development problem. Um, they just weren't contested. So even a simple thing like there's a spelling error and you go on uh, GitHub and like you say, you have to publicly bring out the error. You have to and, and, and you know, even Satoshi was rejecting some of your, your solutions because you felt this solution was a better solution than someone else's solution. That is, you know, that is the basis of, of you have solutions and you, you talk about it and you create social consensus and you create. But I guess so. So I remember I mentioned, Jeff, before that you weren't jaded and you're probably wondering why I said that. So, dude, like I, you know, when I when I do research for this show, I take I spend a lot of time doing it and I, I read uh, and I read like literally I read an, uh, a, a Reddit post that you made and it was like the day before scaling Bitcoin in Hong Kong in 2015. It was like the day before and you were excited about this event. So for those who don't know, and, and I wasn't there, but uh, I was in prison, but scaling Bitcoin probably was the single most important event in Hong Kong. Uh, and literally, it's called scaling Bitcoin because it was a culmination of everyone from from all sides. I mean, you had the Roger Veers, you had the block streams, you had all sides supposed to meet at this event to talk about a social and political solution, right? And yep. you were you were excited about this, Jeff. I was reading your post. You were like, you know, like we're gonna talk there. We're gonna we're gonna come up with a solution. I'm excited. And you were you were so unjaded, and you were so. That you weren't even like I remember in that post you weren't uh, giving people like 
specifics about your thoughts because you wanted to do it at this event. What changed at that event? Like, what happened, dude? I wasn't there. What happened? Like, why did things spiral out of control? Up until that point, it seems like we were like, we were such a great uh, example of an industry that when you have things that are contentious and you're talking about billions of dollars, we can all get together and work it out, even if everyone has different business interests. What happened? What did I miss? Well, I think that's that's where it started to sort of solidify into, uh, you know, the the big blocker, not big blocker, uh, you know, couple camps. Uh, it was less about technical solutions and more became more about, you know, who's in control and how is it uh, controlled and, you know, what, you know, there were a lot of conspiracy theories in the room. I'm not, uh, I don't traffic in conspiracy theories at all. So they kind of frustrate me, but you know, what if, uh, you know, China is secretly controlling Bitcoin or what if this is a vector for the United States government secretly controlling Bitcoin and, and, you know, sort of the stuff that I, I roll my eyes that, but it, uh, you know, taking the broad view is really where there was, there was more of a solidification, into the uh you know the yes we uh need to follow this uh satoshi upgrade path versus a no we shouldn't follow that upgrade path and that that became a sorting function or a sorting hat for the harry potter fans to uh who created the camps i never figured this out who create was the big blocker small blocker camps like was that created by someone on reddit I'm not asking for a specific answer. I guess was it created I think it was or just was a sorting it... function? You know, I there's no who so the that market, comes to it was mind, created by the market. Okay, there you know, so you know, more people apply energy on one side versus the other, and then sort of a uh, a natural magnetism uh, occurs after that. I love that because that's like the best. That's a great. I'm going to add that. So whenever I tell people that markets are efficient when we allow them to be. Um, and the, when we allow them to be is super important because sometimes it takes longer than we want it to take. And that's when you, you have governments or companies, you know, come in with their heavy hand instead of let software and markets to, to kind of govern themselves. But that's a great addition to the point, uh, what you just said. And I'm going to, I'm going to use that where you said that both, you know, people will put different energies to different solutions and whichever, you know, the, 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 the market will, um, the energy that's that's uh, the, that's greater on one side is the one that'll ultimately come out, and it almost like goes into physics, right? Because energy can never be uh, created or destroyed, only transferred. So it's really interesting that how you brought that all together just now. I didn't know you were a physicist. <laughs> no, I'm just a uh, a long now philosopher. I always try to take the uh, the hundred year, five hundred year, a thousand year view, and so. You know, I, I tend to see myself as less less jaded and more just I look at the long view. I've always my family's been involved, for example, in uh, foreign policy, like State Department type stuff. And so I'm always, uh, you know, from literally the, the age of six or eight, I grew up with uh, politics at a nation state level, geopolitics. And this nation wants this. This nation wants that. And it's a. 20 year freaking process to uh, get there and maybe we'll never get there. So uh, Bitcoin just uh, sort of resurfaces on a, maybe a libertarian scale that uh, you know, the geopolitics nation state politics type stuff where 
you know, the big issues, they never really get solved. You make some minor progress at the edges, but uh, mostly things continue mostly the way they are. And, uh, you know, you'll have people on uh, one side shaking their fist at the status quo and people on the other side uh, embracing the status quo and living within it. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin is just more in that same uh, vein. It's the new geopolitics. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it's probably I wonder I wonder if we get like, you know, Henry Kissinger in here to start. <laughs> I, th- I he think would, I failed as being up. Henry Kissinger of crypto. <laughs> so so do you I mean, do you have any regret? You, you've given away over like 15,000, 15,000 Bitcoin you've given away for like various integrations, uh, mining software, uh, open source help. Uh, for the betterment of Bitcoin itself and for crypto, do you regret that? Do you have any regrets? I should not. I should not preclude that statement with the question of Do you have any regrets? <laughs> well, no. It's a, it's a frequently asked question. Is uh, you know right along with uh, Are you Satoshi? Which is no. Uh, is you know certainly I wish I had held on to more of that than uh, than I did, but uh, at the time it was uh, very important uh, as a uh, sort of amateur economist and market player that uh, not only did I uh, pay with Bitcoin to enhance the Bitcoin industry, but uh, I bought on I bought those Bitcoin on the market uh, with US dollars to uh, fully exercise the system. So I paid with fiat, transferred to Bitcoin, and then uh, paid the developers in Bitcoin. Oh and each one of those steps in the early, early days of Bitcoin, it was very important. I was... Uh, Amusingly, I was uh, transferring cash to uh, Jed McCaleb's PayPal account because I was uh, buying on Mt. Gox in those early days. And uh, it uh, it's just so important when you're building a monetary system, I could see in, in those days, it's so important to use the money. You know, we call it uh, in uh, the software industry, dog fooding, eating your own dog food, which means using your own products is it's not enough to, uh, you know, work on this or that uh, aspect of a decentralized currency. You've got to get out in the field and use it. You've got to pay your contractor, your plumber, your electrician in Bitcoin to really see what it means in the real world. And uh, sort of getting back to that, uh, the sci-fi background is uh, if, you know, as I hope, we get to that uh, place where we're all living in the crypto economy and uh, Bitcoin is a world player alongside uh, the U.S. dollar, the renminbi, stuff like that. If we're going to get there, we have to use it. And that was the thought in 2010 is uh, I can't just get out there and hack software and send patches to Satoshi. I've got to get out there in the real world, pound pavement in Atlanta and get people using it. That was uh, that was kind of the genesis of helping to work with BitPay. And that was the gen- genesis of those uh, developer bounties. Is you got to pay it in Bitcoin. You got to, you know, you have almost like an uh, a feeling or like there's like almost like an imp- a moral imperative that if you're involved in this technology so early on, you're not only fighting for your company or like you as an individual, you're also trying to grow the industry uh, as a whole, and so. So thank you for that. But you mentioned Satoshi again, and you brought up a another conversation that I was thinking about the other day. It's like you probably have your own theory on like 
why Satoshi left and whether that was good or bad for uh, the industry. Um, and that's been like hotly debated so many times. So the I guess the question is, you've you know, you know, Vitalik, well, you've you've roomed with him. Um, you're very familiar with Ethereum. Do you have like an opinion on Vitalik and his relationship to Ethereum? Do you think Vitalik has his own thought process on, hey, maybe I shouldn't have done this publicly and I should have done it anonymously like Satoshi? Have you ever had those type of conversations or thought processes? Yeah, and and there's there's kind of the 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 strengths and weaknesses on on both sides there. Is that uh, it, Bitcoin? I think the greatest thing that Satoshi did was, uh, or the greatest two things was, be anonymous and then disappear. And that really, as I mentioned earlier, in the early days, uh, the anonymity forced us to look at the code. And think about the real issues and not about the personality. And uh, obviously, this was before crypto Twitter and stuff like that. And so his anonymity really forced us to uh, make it all about merit, make it all about the logic of the argument, not uh, the force of the personality. And that's the way it should be. And then disappearing is uh, with, uh, you know, whatever the cause of the, the disappearance uh, with Satoshi disappearing again, that forces the community to uh, develop its own, uh, you know, governance or lack thereof uh, processes, examine all these aspects of the system because the founder isn't around anymore. And so what's the, the flip side of that is that uh, if you're a Vitalik and Ethereum, you uh, there it's easier to get stuff done and we see that with uh you know as as we record this a couple days ago was the istanbul hard fork of ethereum yes um they've added zero knowledge proofs and a bunch of other features to that and so uh competitively uh with uh the founders like vitalik being around and you know this is an open question i don't have an answer Maybe Ethereum is more competitive because it can uh, add more features more quickly. It can adapt. Uh, another thing along with uh, Bitcoin is a social network. I like to say that uh, Bitcoin is an, uh, an organism, an evolving organism, uh, and Ethereum is as well. So is Ethereum evolving more quickly, more competitively? Open question. Uh, but on the same token, uh, Bitcoin is, uh, you know, and I can use my own experience as a counterexample as the, as the trolls on crypto, crypto Twitter do, is the failure of SegWit a highlight of resilience and anti-fragility? And I think, again, being neutral, uh, a neutral evaluation, the answer is yes. And so which model is better? And again, I don't have a, an answer for that, but it's definitely Satoshi leaving early and being anonymous set Bitcoin up for a certain culture and uh, a certain uh, meritocratic examination of uh, the changes that are going in versus on Ethereum, you might have, uh, if you, you know, I'm not placing uh you know any particular blame on any one person of but course. you might have some intellectual laziness of oh vitalik and the poor devs said it's okay so it's okay and that interesting sort, thought that sort of turns off that meritocratic evaluation of technology and sort of shortcuts oh 
personality. He's a good personality, good person. So it must be a good technology. And I think that there's, you know, it uh, the having a founder around is uh, helps you move faster, but it also creates this sort of intellectual laziness where you evaluate changes less rigorously. That's a very interesting uh, thought process. I had never really thought about that before. However, however, if you take that to the extreme, don't you get like the whole Satoshi vision camp now, like the religious fundamentalist type of thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, you know, blockchain is a, uh, as a libertarian, I love looking at it from a high level and thinking that blockchain is a big bag of governance experiments. And you've got Dude, uh, you're so you know, right. the EOS model of 21, you know, this consortium of 21 block producers. You've got Bitcoin where it's a let's fight it out. You've got Tezos where it's a let's vote on the governance. But, you know, is that vote gamed? You know, no system is perfect. Every system is an experiment. And, uh, you know, that's why I don't get uh, I don't feel I get jaded is I just love watching all this play out every day because no one no one has a right answer. So no one knows, you know, which camp is going to ultimately succeed. What are you working on uh, with Block now? So you're you're on the cutting edge and uh, things, you know, when we talk about things that you've worked on in hindsight, they're exciting. So now you're um, you've been doing kind of two things. You've been uh you founded and been working with Block for, for four years. You've launched um, your own chains, and I want to ask you about them. Um, and you're still working on space. You're still trying to build the physical, virtual, and financial infrastructure to enable like space ex exploration and settlement. I mean, that's like a long-term thing. But you've been doing that for three years uh, at Dunvegan Space Systems. Um, what... What are you working on? Like, what what's going on internally at those at those two companies? So, uh, I like to think of Block as the umbrella, and uh, a lot of those efforts uh, fall under that. Uh, so, real quickly, we have uh, two business units at Block. One of them is the uh, enterprise business unit, where we uh, work with uh, customers like Discover or Price Waterhouse Coopers or uh, Fidelity, uh, real uh, Fortune fifty type customers. And uh, we help them uh, understand, digest, uh, et cetera, Bitcoin, blockchain, public networks, uh, how to best engage with those, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, we just uh, most recently uh, released block.cloud. You can open up your browser and go to block.cloud. Oh, check it out right now. And uh, that's our uh, kind of, uh, you know, Amazon, AWS for blockchain or Google Cloud for blockchain platform. Uh, where, uh, you know, after 10 years in the industry, I still am frustrated by uh, the difficulty at which developers uh, have to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to build blockchain apps. I wanted to make it a uh, swipe a credit card and start building type experience where you don't even need a crypto wallet. You don't even need to hold tokens to interact with networks like Ethereum or SiaCoin or Filecoin or this, that, and the other is uh, for a dev, you just need an API and uh, some JSON format uh, responses, and you're good to go. And that's Block Cloud is, uh, you know, what is the easiest way I was trying to solve for to bring more developers into the space for any blockchain? If you want to be a Bitcoin developer, I want you to come to Block Cloud first. If you want to be an Ethereum developer, I want you to come to Block Cloud first. Very coin-neutral, uh, multi-coin, multi-network uh, type approach. 
And so that's the enterprise side. And uh, we uh, just launched Block Cloud in uh, late August. Very excited about that. We're engaging with uh, a bunch of different networks. Uh, we've uh, uh, just uh, closed the deal with Etsy Labs to bring Etsy on board alongside BTC and ETH and several others. So uh, very excited about that. Uh, the other uh, side is uh, Block Labs, which is kind of a Bell Labs or a Xerox Park uh, innovation shop. And that's where we do the moonshots, the crazy stuff that uh, it's wildly innovative, but man, maybe it's a little bit too risky for the Fortune 500 enterprises. So uh, we have uh, Dunvegan Space Systems got folded into a new effort called Space Chain, uh, spacechain.com. They've uh, launched two satellites with uh, uh, quantum and Ethereum uh, node technology on board as uh, flight tests. We uh, launched a uh, coin on top of Ethereum called Metronome, which is uh, in fitting with my sort of super long-term vision. Uh, it's a coin that's designed to uh, survive the death of a blockchain, which is uh, pretty unique as of this writing. And uh, so if you want to, the theory is, if you want to hold, there's this kind of autonomous Federal Reserve that's sitting there uh, backing, backing you up keeping it running, even if the the plumbing underneath, the infrastructure underneath uh, fails. And then uh, we're also looking at uh, some other uh, not yet announced projects in the uh, machine learning and blockchain space, the layer two space, uh, like payment networks and that sort of thing, kind of lightning or Raiden type stuff. So that's our, that's our innovation shop where we uh, do stuff that's... Uh, too uh, too risky, dangerous, or uh, you know, too exciting for enterprise. <laughs> Jeff Garzik, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I think that our listeners are probably saying to yourself, saying to themselves, "Okay, I know this Garzik guy. I didn't know what he's been doing, um, and I kind of want to follow his cool shit for the future." So um, I know we made fun of crypto Twitter a lot on the show, but how can people follow you, uh, your writings, your work, your projects, your companies? Uh, how can people do that and keep in touch with you? Yeah, the the easiest is uh, at Jay Garzik on Twitter. Um, it's uh, not just uh, company announcements and stuff. I get into uh, politics and uh, you know open source activism and free speech activism. So it's a uh, you know a pretty uh, high volume Twitter, but that's the best way. Block.com is uh, and that's our, with a Q. corporate avenue. B L O Q dot com. What a great there name! You, go. you got the best company name. <laughs> it's literally it's, the best uh, name, it, and it's so easy to type into a browser yeah. or an email address. I love it. It's great, Jeff. Thank you so much. Oh, um, and and it and it starts with a B too, um, which is great because. Uh, like for being in phone books, oh, we don't use phone books anymore. So my friend started a company, uh, like 30 years ago or 40, he's been in 30 years, jewelry, jewelry store. And the name of his company is like, it's a dot. And then the name of the store and like, and son. And, yeah. and so I'm like, why, what's the a dot? Like, and then it's like his, the company name. And he said for the phone book, cause I was, you know, a dot, <laughs> I was the first in the phone book. Brilliant. Guy's been doing it for 30 years. He's a good yeah, friend of I mine. I love little hacks like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, thank you again so much. And uh, and I'll see you in Atlanta in a few weeks. I'm excited. Yeah, you're always welcome. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Charlie. I love it. I'll talk to you later.
All right. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of Blockworks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.